Hello, and thank you for connecting with us here at Oasis Online. If this ministry is an encouragement to you, I would love to hear from you. Would you send me an email at pastor at obclv.org? I hope you enjoy the service today and that God would speak directly to your heart. So I want to mention just a, a couple of things before we dive in. Just about this passage as a whole, really we're going to zoom in to John, uh, John 15, 7. It's where we're going to camp out. But just to say a few things about these 11 verses. For one, this is a, a parable. Jesus taught this way a lot. And so Jesus is using uh, what could have been, a lot of scholars believe, historians, so forth, believe that they were probably walking through a vineyard when Jesus said, by the way, I am the vine. You are the branches. And so many times he would teach his disciples in that way, and there was a visual right there in front of them. So in in that, the father is the vine dresser, and he has the role of being the uh, taking care of the garden, inspecting the fruit, pruning the branches, and removing those branches that do not bear fruit. And then there's Jesus, who is the vine. His role is to be rooted in the Father's garden and to push his life into the branches and in and through the branches for them to bear fruit. That's the role of the vine. That's the role of Jesus. And then there's the branches. The branches is us. The branches are uh, Jesus is living in us, pushing his life in and through us for us to bear fruit. So that's the, we're the branches. Now there's some branches as we will see, and we'll talk about in just a moment that don't bear fruit. And we'll, we'll, we'll discuss that. Another way to look at this, uh, is for them, for their ears, for the disciples, right as Jesus was sharing Judas has just left. They were all together. Jesus given those last few instructions and teachings there in the upper room. God is the vine dresser. Jesus is the the vine. The disciples are the branches. But again, there's two types of branches. Those that bear fruit and those that don't. Those 11 disciples are those that bear fruit. That one disciple, Judas, was one that left, was removed. He, He was not a true disciple he was not a true believer and so he did not bear fruit that's the two ways we can look at this another thing with this passage you can see a progression that in in john 5 uh, 15 2 there was no fruit and then in in verse 5 there's fruit and then there's more fruit and then there's much fruit so there's different kinds and different seasons for the fruit but so there's no fruit There's some fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. So the same with us as believers, as branches, we will produce fruit. And Jesus says, if you abide in me, you will bear fruit. There's going to be times where it's just some. There's going to be times where it's more. There's going to be times where it's much. But as we abide in him, we will bear fruit. So now that we're in the context, 
we kind of know some things about these 11 verses. I want to zoom in to John 15, 7, and that's where we'll spend the rest of our time this morning. He says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So how does abiding in Christ affect our prayer life? That's the question for this morning. How does abiding in Christ affect our prayer life? Number one, when we abide in Christ, we become one with him. When we abide in Christ, we become one with him. The first part of that, this, ver- this verse kind of breaks down in, in two ways. So the first part is, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. Jesus is saying, first he says, if you. So again, he's, he's talking, his audience is the disciples throughout this passage. So that's his audience. If you abide in me. The word if there, you know, many times in scripture, we, uh, we don't read slowly most of the time and we don't stay on most of the time we're, we're reading at length most of the time. If it, a quiet time or any kind of Bible reading or something like that that you do, most of the time we read in length. And so it's good sometimes to stop and camp out and really see what God's word is, is teaching us and telling us. So that one little word, if, is huge. It changes everything. That word if is a, a, a hypothetical uh, conditional word that, that changes everything. And we use, we use this, these hypothetical things all the time. For me as a father, I use this a lot with my daughters. I will say, girls, if you clean your room, then whatever. So there's a condition based on what I'm saying. Or I may say, if you don't clean your room, there's going to be a condition. That, you know. So there's an if. That if there is so important. There's an immediate responsibility passed to the disciples in this. There's ownership and a participation. So he's saying, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. The word abide means to remain or to stay along with or to stay at home with. Abide is used 11 times in these verses. Warren Wiersbe says it means to keep in fellowship with Christ so that his life can work in and through us to produce fruit. I'm going to read that again. This is a, a great definition. It means to keep in fellowship with Christ so that his life can work in and through us so we can produce fruit. When I was uh, in high school, I was a part of a football team. I'm very careful to say that I played football because played is a very strong word for somebody that never actually got to play. But my point (laughs) is... In, in football, I, had, I was a tight end part of the time, and I had two assignments. There was two assignments. It's only two things that I, I could possibly do. And so if it's narrowed down that much, I can, I can usually do pretty good if I've just got two options. So when, when we would, would line up, or, or as far as a tight end, I either had to go out for a short pass or stay there and block. Because that meant we were running the ball on my side of the line and I had to stay home and block. And so in that, the, the, uh, we had to memorize the playbook. And so when we were in that huddle and that quarterback would call that play, I, would knew, I knew by the play in my mind what I had to do. And so we would break the huddle and I'd come up to the line. And, and I, I could even remember 
my coach on the sideline, he'd be, he would scream, stay at home, stay at home. So what he was saying was on that particular play for me to stay in my position and block. That was my call for that assignment. And so that kind of gives us a, a little bit of an idea of abiding. Abiding is to, to stay at home with, to stay in position with Christ, to stay in and, and do not move from that position. That's the idea of abiding. The command in John 15, 1 through 11, all throughout this passage, is not to bear fruit. Many times we think, okay, okay, I've got it. I've got to bear fruit. That's my job. That's what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to try to bear fruit. But that's not the command. The command is to abide. The byproduct is to bear fruit. If we abide, then Jesus' life will live in and through us, and then the natural product of that is to bear fruit. Warren Wiersbe again says, As branches in the vine, we have the privilege of abiding and the responsibility of bearing fruit. The abiding relationship is natural to the branch and the vine, but it must be cultivated in the Christian life. It's not automatic. Abiding in Christ demands worship, meditation on God's word, prayer, sacrifice, and service. But what a joyful experience it is. Once you've begun to cultivate this deeper communication, this, this deeper communion, with Christ, you have no desire to re- return to the shallow life of the careless Christian. That's uh, the idea here of, of abiding and, and how that's fleshed out in their life. It's not automatic. It's not something that just automatically happens. It's quite the opposite. We have our flesh that's in the way. We have our flesh that's doing everything but that. Everything that's going completely the opposite direction from that one I'm careful to say simple command because it's not a simple thing to carry out in our life. I've been a Christian most of my life. This weekend, 10 years ago, uh, I was 25 years old and God really got a hold of me as, as an adult. And I had strayed away from the Lord for some time as a teenager. And 10 years ago this weekend, God really got my attention. And, and, and I really began as the first time as an adult began living for him and in that I, I learned this idea just in in most recent years about abiding and really it's one of the most important things to me probably the most important thing as a Christian is to abide and it's we don't talk about it near as much and we don't discuss it near as much in our early discipleship and all those things uh, as a whole, in, in the Christian church in America, we don't, we don't hear about this that much, but it is absolutely essential. So now to go a little further, Jesus says, if my words abide in you, so we've already addressed the conditional statement and, and, and abiding, but then he goes on to say, but also uh, if his words uh, abide in us. So not only are we to abide in him, but he is to, his words are to abide in us. So put all that together. That if is still huge right here. Still talking about the second phrase of the, of the sentence. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Jesus is saying, suppose you obey this command. Suppose you 
you obey this. The Greek word that is used for word is rhema. And it means saying or sayings or a single saying. So what is the word? It's Jesus' teaching. It's everything that for us today is the word of God from cover to cover. We have the whole counsel of God all in one form. It's completely inerrant. It's completely without error. That's the word that has to abide in us. For these disciples, more specifically, it was the teachings of Jesus for these last three years. Everything that he had had been with these disciples and teaching them. So he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, that's the word that he's talking about. To remain in Christ and to allow his words to remain in oneself means a conscious acceptance of the authority of his word and a constant contact with him in prayer. This idea of, of abiding and what we're talking about this morning, for one, this, this conscience, this acceptance of his authority. That's something that, again, in the flesh that we as Christians will constantly battle with because I want to be my own authority in my, in my flesh. I want to be my own boss in my flesh. I want to do it my way. But I have to submit to the authority of Christ and constantly, consciously accept his authority. And then it's a constant contact in prayer. Again, many times we're, we're, we're trained to have a, a devotional time in life as a disciple of Christ. We're, we're trained to have a quiet time, and that's great. And I do that, and, and I encourage everybody to do that. But for years and years and years and years, once I finish my quiet time, I may not pray again until something bad came up in the day or till bedtime. That was my prayer life. But this idea of abiding is a constant, open fellowship with Christ. What a blessing that we have to be able to communicate with our Savior in that way. So how does abiding in Christ affect our prayer life? Truth number two. It's when we abide in Christ, our prayers are his will. When we abide in Christ, our prayers are his will. The second part of the verse 7 says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, the second part, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done. So the first section that we have dealt with today is a kind of a prerequisite of this second section of the sentence. What I mean by pre- prerequisite is we, we, you have to have algebra one before you can have algebra two, right? So the first phrase, the first part of that sentence is conditioned on the second part. The word ask means to ask for with urgency, even to the point of demanding to, or to plead for. So Jesus says to plead or to ask with urgency, what you want. That's what he's telling the disciples. That's what he's telling us this morning. To plead or to ask with urgency what you want. The word want or uh, wish means to desire, to have, or experience something. So put that together. Jesus is literally saying, plead even to the point of demanding, plead to any point of even to the point of demanding for what you desire. That's what Jesus is saying. He says, once you do that, it will be done for you. 
The phrase, it will be done for you, means to happen. With the implication of what happens is different from the previous state. So it means to occur or for something to come to be. So whatever wasn't, now is. So again, ask, demand, or to plead for whatever you wish, whatever your desire is. And it will occur. The wording here leaves zero doubt that what we ask for comes to be. So you may say, or you may be thinking, so pastor, are you saying, are you preaching a prosperity gospel? Absolutely not. Are you saying that I can just ask for anything And God will give it to me? Absolutely not. This verse is based on the conditions of the first part. And I'll explain that a little bit more. I'm saying if we abide, we can ask and it will come to be. That's the condition of the verse. If we're abiding in Christ, remember truth number one. We become one with Christ. His desire then becomes our desire. And so basically then we're praying for what he desires, which is his will, which his will is going to come to be. That's what this text is teaching. And so many times the way I've prayed is my desire, and I'm trying to get Jesus to come over on my wish list and line up with what I want. But that's not what the text says. If we abide then he, we line up with him. We become one with him. We become in harmony with him. <clears throat> Before we flesh out even more, I want to look at it, just a few other verses throughout the Bible that's similar to this that so many times we take out of context without knowing what, what all is being said in that particular text, what all is being said in that broad context, and what else is being said throughout all of Jesus' teaching. Anytime we take a verse or something like that, and at first glance we may think, man, that doesn't sound right. That, that doesn't sound like the rest of what Jesus was saying. Well, there's a wrong interpretation or, or something going on, so we have to look closer. So the verse, first verse I want us to look at this morning is John fourteen thirteen through 14. Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Many Christians today, again, take this and run with it. Take it completely out of context and treat this in Jesus' name. I pray in Jesus' name. I I did before we started this. I'm, I'm all for praying in Jesus' name. But there's a misconception of, of praying in Jesus' name is like rubbing a, a genie in a bottle and that whatever we wish is, is granted, and that is not biblical. I cannot take my wish list to Christ and say I ask for a new car, healing, whatever it may be, in Jesus' name and claim it and name it and walk away saying God's going to do it. But that, that's not what this verse is teaching, and no verse teaches that. It's not a magical saying that we can tack on to the end of our prayer. 
John MacArthur explains that in Jesus' name means we first have to make requests consistent with God's will. So our request has to be consistent with God's will. Second, we have to acknowledge our own spiritual poverty and self-sufficiency. So that's our God dependence. We have to realize our God dependence. And, and again, get ourselves positionally, in, in our, or not positionally, but in our mind positionally, under the authority of God, saying, God, I know you know best. This is what I want. Doesn't mean that it's best, because you know best. But this is all I know how to do is, is pray and ask. And then finally, we have to be sincere and want God to be glorified in his answer. And ultimately, whatever the answer is, if it's yes to your request or no to your request or my request, we, we have to want God to be glorified. So when we say in Jesus' name, we just encapsulated all those, those, those three things. When we pray in Jesus' name, we're, we're saying, or when I say in Jesus' name, I'm saying, God, according to everything that I prayed, I pray that it's according to your will. In other words, if it's not, I'm not, it's me changing, not you. You know best. Completely dependent on God. And then again, ultimately for his glory. We have verses like Philippians 4, in Philippians 4, that tell us to make our request known to God. And that's absolutely, we are to make our request known to God. But again, it just says to make your request known. We can cry out to our Father and ask Him, but doesn't mean He's going to answer. He's the sovereign God. We, we are not. We can make those requests because there's things that, that's in His will that we would never be okay with. That's just a fact. There's deaths and sickness and, and trials in life that if He were to ask me, would it be okay if you go through this? Absolutely not. I don't want to go through that. But He, he doesn't ask. He's the sovereign God that knows what's best. Another passage, Matthew 7, 7 through 8, 7 and 8. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. The context of this passage is is in the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7 is the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is again teaching and really this is a sermon so he's preaching to his disciples. Now by the time you get to the end of chapter 7 you see it's drawn a crowd. People have come up to listen and to hear what's going on but Jesus' audience ultimately he's teaching his disciples in a public venue where others can hear. And in that he's teaching them really in this verse particularly He's asking them or teaching them to pray aggressively. To pray aggressively and not to give up. Now, again, to get in the broad context, to know what, again, this is one of those verses that's just pulled out sometimes, and we just say, hey, if you, if you seek and knock and pray hard enough and ask in Jesus' name, you'll get it. That is not what the Bible is teaching. In the broader context, Jesus has just told them really some kind of hard things and, and through chapter 7, where he's told them, one, number one, he says, do not judge. And we get that messed up in our culture as well. What he's saying in that particular passage is do not judge wrongly because he spends the rest of that chapter telling them to judge. He doesn't use those words to judge, but he says, watch out and look for 
wolves in sheep's clothing. That's a judgment call that we have to make. We have to look and be able to judge and make that call and say, that is a wolf in sheep's clothing. There's times where, uh, then he goes on to say, do not cast your pearls before swine. That's a judgment call that we have to make. The pearls there is the gospel. The swine is somebody that's not going to be receptive to the gospel. We don't just have to cast it out there with, in, in some situations. Again, that's a, that's a judgment call that we have to make. And that's what Jesus was teaching his disciples there. To make a judgment call. Do not cast pearls before swine. So he, he, he's telling them there, after several of those hard things, at the very end of that he says, if you'll seek me, if you'll ask, I'll help you. I'll help you with the, that wisdom is what he's saying. I'll help you with those judgment calls I've just got through talking about. So it reminds me of James 1.5. But, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all generously and without reproach and to be given and it will be given to him. This is the same idea in Matthew 7. He's talking about asking for wisdom and help for, for judgment calls and to pray aggressively in that. And then lastly, John 15, 16. Back to John 15, later on in the verse. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. One commentator explains it this way. Abiding in Jesus, the vine, and praying in his name implies that the petitioner has become aligned with the spirit and nature of Jesus so that requesting something out of line with the nature of Jesus would, would here be completely excluded from consideration. This is that same idea that we've been talking about all morning. is is us lining up with him. At times these verses can be hard to comprehend and, and hard to understand until we get into the broader context of them. There are prayers, even for me, again, I shared just a, a, a snippet of that a while ago, but there's prayers personally that I've asked God for. And seemingly, to me at least, that it would he would be for it. He would be for healing. He would be for certain things. He would be, as I've prayed for, um, a little boy or a little girl that's terminally ill. As I've prayed for uh, a marriage that's fallen apart and that ultimately fell apart. And I've prayed for um, a womb of a barren woman or, or whatever those situations, things that you would think God would just want to answer. And for whatever reason, God said no and didn't answer that prayer. So again, even before I had this understood this concept as much as I do now I mean I would pray even harder and even asking Jesus name even harder and all of those things but there's times when the sovereign will of God is unexplainable for us and we cannot understand we will not understand some of the things that God does but we have to remember and have to understand that God is outside of time he sees from Genesis 1 and prior to the end of time in one snapshot. All I can see is today and the past. And so the sovereign God of this universe, we have to have faith and trust 
and what, how much it doesn't make sense to us that he is in control and knows what's best. See, God answers those prayers based on his eternal plan. And we, we don't intercept that. So how are we to interpret verses like these and others like it? How do we make sense of asking and it will be given? Knock and it will be opened. Ask in my name and it will happen. Ask whatever you want and I'll give to you. A.T. Robinson helps shine some light on this subject. This astounding command, abide in me and promise, ask and it will be given, is not without conditions and limitations. It involves such intimate union and harmony with Christ that nothing will be asked out of accord with the mind of Christ and so of the Father. The Apostle Paul, I mean the Apostle John, shares this same idea a little bit more. It's almost like he gives a progression as he's writing this gospel and then even in, in 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, he gives just a little bit more to us. He says, this is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. So again, he's re-emphasizing the point. If we abide in him and his words abide in us, If we ask his will, it will, it will be done. So what's the points of application? How, what can we do to make sure, how can we make sure that we, our prayer life is being affected by abiding in Christ? Really, we have to strive as a Christian. We have to strive to abide in him and to allow his word to abide in us. Again, I already mentioned that's a struggle in the Christian's life when everything else is pulling against us. That's the one simple thing. I've heard time and time again from uh, men in ministry and, and others that's been in the faith a lot longer than I have. And they said really the hardest thing to do is to stop and pray. Whatever we're doing, whatever we're going through, in the heat of the moment, because in our flesh we want to do everything but that. The hardest thing to do is, and so that's, that's abiding. So how do we do that? Remain inseparably linked to Christ in all areas of life, all day, every day. Number two, depend on him for grace and power to obey. Number three, look obediently to his word for instruction and how to live. Number four, offer him our deepest adoration and praise and we submit ourselves to his authority over our lives. Jesus is our source and our sustainer for our lives. We have to be linked to him. Everything goes back to our relationship with him. Everything. As a new believer in Christ, that's when that relationship begins. And it has to continue to be cultivated throughout. We have to be linked to him just as that branch is linked to the vine. If you were to cut the branch off and go stick it in the ground, 
it's not going to grow. The life source is not in the branch. The life source is in the vine. All that to say, if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't or that has realized maybe that you're not in the true vine or never have been the true vine, that's something that for one can be taken care of today but something that John's gospel shares in chapter 2 is how Jesus was the very end of chapter 2 I believe it's 20, verses 23 and 24 Jesus has been healing and, and doing some things in, in public and several doing several miracles and signs and the crowd believes in him some of the crowd believes in him and Jesus says that in, that in those two verses, but I did not entrust myself to them, for I know all men. And so in that, that, that verse, that's something that's really stuck out to me a lot recently. Our, our nation is full of people that profess Christ that may not truly be a part of the true vine. And how we know the difference is by bearing fruit. That's the evidence of a vine and the life being pressed out in, in the vine. And so in that, in that passage, it's kind of hard to hear sometimes. What do you mean? These people believed, but Jesus didn't entrust. He didn't believe back. In other words, he didn't accept their belief. They were believing for all the wrong reasons. And I believe there's people today that believe for the wrong reasons. They're in a jam. They believe Jesus can get them out, and he can. But if our motives are wrong or whatever, we don't know. Just like in that passage, we don't know what was going on in the hearts of those people. But Jesus said, I know all men, so I didn't trust. he didn't entrust in any of them. Any of those that had believed in him at that particular moment, he didn't believe in it. He didn't entrust to them. So we're going to have a time of invitation and a time where I want us to be fruit inspectors, so to speak. I want to everyone to, to examine your own life and examine the fruit of your own life. And in this moment, ask yourself, do I bear fruit? Is it just fruit? Some fruit? More fruit, much fruit, that part doesn't matter. That's seasonal. There's times where we're going to bear fruit. Sometimes we're going to bear a lot more. Those things are seasonal. But the issue is, do we ever bear fruit? In this passage, Jesus talked about, two, two different verses talks about those, verse, those branches that don't bear fruit. It's because they're not a part of the vine. Not a part of the, the, the life of Christ is not pushing fruit out through them. If you would, bow your head and close your eyes. This time, just ask yourself, is there any fruit in my life? If there is, praise God for that. That's Jesus' life being pressed out in and through you.
if the answer is no. And you can't say that there's fruit that's being pressed out in your life. Then there's a relationship issue and you do not have a relationship with the true vine. But I have good news for you today. You can start that relationship right now. It's the most important decision you'll ever make in all of your life. Thank you for worshiping with us here at Oasis Online. If this message was an encouragement to you, would you send me an email and let me know at pastor at obclv.org. Before you go, go check us out at oasisbaptistchurch.org. And if we can be of any help to you, or an encouragement to you, please let us know. Thank you so much for listening, and have a great day.